Father, we are grateful to be gathered in this uh, beautiful place this week. I also am grateful to be gathered with these friends here for this next 45 minutes. Um, as you know, the, the stories that are in this room, the, the wounds that they carry, that each of us carry, and also the hopes and dreams that we carry as well, as we go about your work in the world. So, Father, I pray that in your great mercy you might be present with us this morning. That we might bear our wounds with one another and talk openly about those hurts. That in bringing them to light before each other and also before you, that we might find your healing. Father, we are forever grateful that we are the children of a God who longs to heal us. So we show up this morning in the hope of that great healing today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being here this morning. Um, we are going to talk about church hurt. Uh, and specifically, uh, we'll, we'll use the word trauma and we'll kind of dive into that here on the front end in just a second. Um, but the thing I really want us to think about is receiving church hurt as someone in ministry. Uh, you may have scanned through the list of other class options this week and noticed this is not the only class that's talking about trauma. In fact, um, most a lot of the stuff you're going to hear in this first uh, part is going to come from a book called Trauma-Informed Evangelism. The guy who wrote this book is actually here this week talking about it. And so if you want to learn more about trauma, that is the class to go to, for sure. Um, but his focus is really more on how do we reach people who have been traumatized by church? Maybe they grew up in church, maybe they tried church, um, and were hurt somehow in that process. And okay, that, that's an extra barrier in how we reach them as we evangelize, right? So that's his focus. The focus here, though, today is as ministers, people working in ministry, or maybe people as, as elders, shepherds, caring for ministry staff, how do we deal with, with wounds uh, uh, and for those in ministry? Um, and shepherds themselves carry their own wounds from doing that work. Uh, and so that's, that's really where we're going to be focusing today. But first, a word about trauma. Um, to kind of help us get our minds wrapped around what we're talking about when we talk about trauma. You may have heard the word trauma a lot thrown around recently. It's kind of something I think people are becoming more aware of. It's part of more of the vernacular today as we discuss hard things that have happened to us. Um, but we need to start defining terms. Uh, and it's interesting, the word trauma literally happens in the New Testament. It only shows up once. It's in the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want you to take a guess at which Greek word um, shows up in this passage, uh, how it's translated here. The word trauma is in this passage. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Anyone want to take a guess at which word here got translated from the word trauma in Greek? Wound. Absolutely. Yeah, it's wound. Yeah, trauma means wound. Um, you got it. There's lots of different kinds of wounds, though. Um, and, uh, and to help us kind of have some categories as we start working through this, uh, I want to talk about specifically three kinds. One is simple trauma. Um, and, okay, to, to be clear, there is no such thing as simple trauma. No trauma is simple. 
Uh, but what they're talking about here is a one-time event, right? Something happened that was negative and it adversely affected you. And so like a car wreck, it's a one-time thing. It happened, it was horrible. And then becomes the process of healing from that, that one-time thing. Then there's complex trauma. Um, you think about what we experienced as, a, as a, a culture, as a people, as a nation, as a church during COVID, right? It was not a one-time event. It wasn't like, all right, March 15th, church is canceled, and that was it. It all was contained in that one moment. Uh, no, it was years, right? And we're still processing that, right? Um, and there's a lot of different factors that contributed to that trauma. There was a lack of community. There were medical concerns. There were economic concerns. That is complex trauma. Um, you, another uh, maybe comp, uh, example of complex trauma might be a cancer diagnosis, right? It's not just a one-time thing. Man, that, that, that takes a long time to walk through. The chemotherapy, the radiation, all, I mean, all the things. Um, complex trauma. And then... There's vicarious trauma, which I thought it was important for us to talk about as ministers, too. Uh, what we're talking about with vicarious trauma is the trauma that we, we witness other people go through, right? Um, so it's not something necessarily that's happening directly to you, but it is traumatic to watch someone you love and care about go through something good that's horrible, right? Um, and as ministers, gosh, we experience that all the time, right? We're kind of on the front lines of people going through traumatic things. And so part of the trauma we carry is vicarious as well. Uh, all right, so those are the categories we're kind of working with. Um, and what I'd want to do is start out by mapping some of our own experiences. Um, and I will remind you, this is being recorded. And so just start all everything you say with, I have a friend who, all right? Um, uh, what, are, what are, oh, let me switch the slide here. Um, hey, good morning, guys. Uh, what are some frequent sources of trauma in ministry, or what kind of wounds seem to be occupational hazards in ministry? How, how are ministers wounded? Uh, and then we're, we're going to map this as simple, complex, and vicarious. Uh, stupid people? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, that's... I have a friend who's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for the correction. Yeah. <laughs> um, stupid people. No, uh, what are some of the frequent sources of trauma in ministry? Yeah, yeah. and I'm going to. We're, I'm going to think that's complex, right? Yeah. Because stupid people continue to exist. It's not usually not a one-time thing. So often, the people that drive us nuts are frequent flyers. Yes. Yeah, so Basically, um, no matter how many times you have a conversation with them, it goes back to the same thing over and over. That's right. Yeah, and, and maybe let's get, dive a little bit deeper on this. What, what is it that makes them stupid? <laughs> What's frustrating? What are some of those conversations? What do some of those conversations look like? Critics. Critics, yeah. On one side, they don't, they're not listening. Yeah. So it's not just the things they're saying, it's also how they're engaging with you. Yeah. Seeming inability to learn or grow. Yeah. And I think it's the inability to see the other side, to just even acknowledge that there might be another way of looking at the situation. Yeah, I think that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, it's the stupid people. <laughs> I think uh, conversations about sexual infidelity like, yeah. would be like, uh, it's sort of simple and complex. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a one time event, or it could be. I'm going to put that under simple. I, I, we could, I, I think we could probably go either way. 
Because part of the thing, like even when you experience something simple, the ripple effect afterwards though, I mean just a car wreck, right? Now I've got to talk to the insurance, I've got to go get the car fixed. Like there's all kinds of things you have to deal with because of that one moment. Um, but also when you're going through something like that, there's also so many different factors that, that get pulled up too. So it, it probably is somewhere here in the middle. Um, infidelity. Yeah. I have a friend who yeah. has experienced betrayal or sabotage mm -hmm. by a coworker. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and the emotional toll you carry, if you enter well into those pastoral moments, right? If you're showing up with your whole self and are really trying to minister to them, that. That is an emotional toll that you carry. Yeah. The expectation of perfection of your wife or your kids. Yeah, family. Yep. Where, where would loneliness fit in there? Ooh. <coughs> yeah, that's a big one. Absolutely. I, I think about my very first ministry. Um, I, w I didn't realize it because it was my very first ministry, but I was edging so close to burnout, if not already there. And it was primarily because of loneliness. Yeah. Um, just the lack of friends in this small rural town where we were. Yeah, Drew. Uh, getting fired. Getting fired. There we go. Yeah. I have a friend who got fired too. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you lose your whole community. Yeah. yeah. Suffer. Yeah. yeah, that's. that's you know what's weird, too, is I think if you're experiencing your own uh, trauma, like like at some point in your life, I had a friend who realized there was some trauma in his childhood and he had never dealt with it. So you're trying to deal with this major wound and trauma in your own life while still trying to maybe believe in God and Jesus. And yeah, it's just all of a sudden I'll just. You're trying to deal with trauma in the middle of trying to minister and deal with trauma. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, which is absolutely complex. It's like trauma upon trauma. Right. Yeah. Competitiveness before you ministers. Ooh. And I'm not a minister, so right. I don't <laughs> have a minister. It's not your <laughs> I do have a friend who's <laughs> to fit in versus belong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meaning, like, you can't really show your true self, yeah. so you have to do the thing. And, yes, but like, how, yeah. do you, how do you navigate that? Or when you discover that, unfortunately, like, you didn't think that's what it was, but then you learn it is, but you're in it. That's right, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, if my congregation knew what I actually thought about this, yeah. 
what would it do to the relationships? Yeah. Or my true authentic and who, self. And who, yeah, and can I, am I really loved here right. for who I am versus the role that I am playing? Yes, that. Yeah. Which compounds the loneliness. Yes. I, I don't know where this would fall, but oftentimes in ministry, we're stepping into a ministry because of trauma in the past. Oh. There's no unattached trauma. Inherited. Yeah. yeah. Inherited. Yeah, we weren't there when it was broken, but we're there to try to help fix it. I have some friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, another one is um, when you're dealing with Yeah. Yeah, okay, so talk more about that. What did that look like? Um, I, I was at, well, I had my friend was actually told one time, you're not a part of us, you work for us. Ooh. Uh, Hello. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, and, and very few people would be bold enough to say that out loud, but a lot of church members, church leadership, Absolutely. That's the because so often, I mean you know this. It is so much easier to expel someone that you haven't known that long that you hired than deal with the dysfunction and the relationships that have been there for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is really a thing, but um, you know, we all have different personalities and sometimes people take some part of your personality as um, deficit or offensive or something and that's you are so it's kind of it's hurt I would think that it's hurtful if, yeah if people are you can get like pigeonholed and stereotyped yeah, yeah and, and so I think that's that's a problem because it's you know that's that's the idea of I think as the sisters said something about inclusion you know whether you're being included or not because we all have these different quirks right so, so I think um, definitely if you're somebody you think you're in a fishbowl you're probably looking at your quirks more Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Matt's a spiritual perspective. So Matt could be my own because we're saying, I've got to do this ministry, I've got to make this work, I've got to get this good, and not put a value in it. And then if you are on a spiritual you know, it's very frustrating to try to deal with people who are going spiritual more questions of your like opinion and and they're not looking at so I have to plan to deal out this person to come in here. We can kind of work together as a team to try to do the best that we can. Yeah. Pray along with each other through family, spiritual family. I mean, it's it's all the spiritual spiritual components that that you know allow the spirit to do it more. And then we try to talk to people so it's like if you really use this book like kind of a definition of what you're talking about, because you're coming from the spiritual. 
Dealing with kind of similar stuff that you said, but dealing with volatile or polarizing topics. Yeah. Yeah, because um, those often bring out the best of the stupid people, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fine form when those topics are <laughs> Or often they could be used as a weapon, right? They have an e another issue with yeah. you. But now, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you on. I know what you think about one of these things. I can leverage that against you, right? Um, yeah, that's always fun. Uh, I also think about I mean, our own faith journeys, right? Doubt that we carry um, that can't be expressed. Right? So we have to be really careful about how we deal with that. Questions that we may have. Doing that in the context of being a leader of a community of faith can be really difficult. Um, Um, okay, so uh, what do you notice about the board? <laughs> yeah, it's really complex, isn't it? Um, one of the things that struck me as I was you know, kind of coming out of that pandemic period, um, and right after my friend got fired, um, I was listening to this podcast, Steve Cuss, um, Leadership Anxiety, and he talks about chronic anxiety. Um, some, some stress kind of spikes, it's like a one momentary, it's a simple thing. Right, but most of the stress uh, that I was experiencing in ministry was chronic. It was a constant pressure that never really went away. And so, as much as I tried to deal with it and had like healthy coping mechanisms, trying to keep up the stress with the stress that was there was near impossible. Uh, and so, just that chronic, constant pressure. Um, okay, so we've we've named those wounds. But there is more to trauma than just the wounding itself, right? That's, that's part of what makes trauma trauma, but there's another side of it, too, that makes it difficult to heal from. Um, from Vanderkolk's The Body Keeps the Score, she says, A trauma is not just an event that took place sometime in the past. It is also the imprint left by that experience on mind, brain, and body. Mm -hmm. I like the way Bono says it. Now you're stuck in the moment. You can't get out of it, right? Um, this trauma that you experienced has, okay, that was an unsafe situation. You felt attacked. Um, and what we do when we feel attacked um, is, you know, our, our bodies go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, right? Um, and the thing with trauma is we experience something that's a threat, and then we stay stuck in this moment, right? Our bodies think the threat is still there, right? And so we can never get out of it. And so even when we're in a safe place, um, that doesn't necessarily mean we feel safe. And so we can still be acting out of those traumas that we've experienced, even unknowingly, often subconsciously, that the way I am showing up in a particular room with a totally different group of people or a totally different circumstance is still being completely driven by something I experienced years ago. Um, all right, so that... That is what makes trauma trauma. We are stuck in a moment. Um, and, and so that makes it difficult to know how to heal. Um, you know, I joked about having a friend who was fired. I was fired uh, a couple of years ago. And I am now in a very healthy church um, that is loving me well. Uh, and it's been a safe place. 
But I remember walking in to preach the first time on that, that first Sunday and how much anxiety was in my body, right? Because I was going back into the lion's end is what it felt like, right? Because I know these patterns exist. I'm not the only one who has experienced this stuff. And I'm wondering constantly, okay, it's fine now, but when will it shift? Um, and so we walk into these rooms keeping that. And so that, that subtitle that's, that's, uh, that I included for the class, Healing Among People, the People Who Hurt You, sometimes that's literal. Sometimes the work you have to do as a minister is you've been hurt by people who are in your church, who are still at that congregation, and you've got to find a way to heal, even though they are still there. And that's really tough. But I think we can still even feel that, even if we're not in the same context. We are still healing within the church. And the church doesn't always feel safe if you've been hurt by the church. Um, so how do we heal? Um, there's kind of three things that I want us to pay attention to as we talk about healing. Because um, I think these th all three of these things are threatened to be broken um, when we do experience church trauma. Uh, the first is our relationship with the church. And notice the capital C. It's not just that one congregation, as I was just saying. It is capital C church, the experience of being with the body of Christ at large. Any group of Christians or any group of elders or any, I mean, any, any, any church that I'm a part of can threaten to look the same way as I've experienced before. So how do, how do we heal that relationship with the church? And so often this shows up as bitterness in us, I think, right? If we don't process those wounds, if we, yeah, we, we carry this anger um, and we can project it at the church, even though most of the people don't even know what happened, or maybe it was at a different church completely, but the anger, the bitterness is still there. Uh, I think our sense of calling can be broken. Am I called to do this? Is this what I should be doing with my life? I, I remember the hardest times in the midst of the most stress and trauma, the thing I was thinking was, like, why am I, like, why am I doing this? What, what is the point? Um, if this is what this is going to be like, why would, I, why would I continue giving my life to this? In fact, the week before I was fired, I had texted a mentor and said, I think I'm out. I'm done with ministry. And he wisely responded, well, if you change your mind. You know. um, and I did end up changing my mind. But our sense of calling can be broken in some of those experiences. And finally, our relationship with God, um, which is a sneakier one, I think. Um, because I don't think we've, at least for myself, it was hard to admit that I was seeing God differently because of what I experienced by church. Um, I didn't want that to be true. Like, and cognitively, like I've been to the classes, I preach it myself, God is love. Gosh, I get that. And yet the trauma we experience can change the way we believe that. Um, and so I, I was just a few weeks ago, um, and I shared this in, uh, on Easter with our congregation. Uh, I was at a retreat with several other ministers, and we're kind of going around the room and sharing just how things are going, and I was telling them how great it was. I mean, this, things could not be better. Family's doing great. Church is great. I'm so happy. And then they asked me about prayer life, and I was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, that'd be great. And as I processed that, what I found, what I heard myself saying, even though I didn't realize I was, I'd been carrying this, was I think it's hard for me to pray because I'm afraid if I pray, God is going to mess with me again. <laughs> like I, I feel like I've been faithful to what God had been calling me to do and look where that got me um, so I really don't want to get close right now okay, so our, our relationship with God can be um, can be torn, can be bruised uh, by the things we experience in church we want to pay attention to that too um, 
Okay, so there, there are some practical things we can do that, with healing uh, some of this trauma. That's not where I want to spend most of my time uh, today, or our time today. Uh, praying, being involved in a community of faith that is healthy, um, reading scripture, re-engaging. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Going to therapy, that's been super helpful for me. All of those things are great, um, and I think are, are steps we ought to take towards healing. But what I'm most interested in today is to dis- kind of distri- describe the, the inner journey. What does this look like as you're trying to heal? What kind of things come up, the things you have to deal with in your own internal monologue and the things you believe about yourself and about the world? Um, and the, the, the obstacles you have to overcome within yourself as you heal. Um, first one's this. I had to notice my anger. I'm, I mentioned bitterness. Uh, man, so often that is hidden, even from ourselves. I, I remember my... One of the first churches I ever worked with, I was a part-time youth minister in Roby, Texas. Um, and I would drive out every Sunday and Wednesday, work with the youth. And there were some, there was, oh, there's always conflict, right, when people get together. Um, and there had been some conflict there. Nothing huge, but it had been there. And I remember one of the elders invited me out. He's like, hey, you want to make some extra money? Like, Absolutely, yes, sir. Um, like, okay, well, come out. I need you to paint a fence for me. Okay. So I spent two days, drove out there two times, um, and painted this, this iron fence that he had just all day. 12 hours, I mean, it's a huge fence. And the entire time, what's rolling around in my brain is just these imaginary arguments in my head with these elders that, uh, where I was, of course, winning the arguments. Um, uh, but I was carrying that the whole time. I, didn't, I did not realize I was doing that until the very last like, turn of the fence. I was like, oh man, I'm angry, aren't I? Oh, we carry this all the time without even realizing the bitterness that we carry uh, towards the people that we may be in conflict with. Um, and so what I found is I have to give my anger a voice so that I so it can't hide from me. Right? They're going to try to hide from me. And so I got I got to make sure I, I bring it to the surface. Um, and one of the most helpful ways I found to do that was with these prayers during one of the hardest seasons of ministry. Every day I was praying these two psalms. And if you, it's helpful to go and look at these in their entirety. Uh, Psalm 35 is so angry. Uh, it starts off, contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. And that is, it gets bleaker from there. Um, imagining all the things I would like God to do to those enemies. Um, the specific ways I would like God to mess with them. Uh, I mean, it's a very angry psalm. And I started, that was where I started prayer most days. Because that's where I was. Um, and then I would follow that always with Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For they, like, they are like grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they'll soon die away. Okay, I need to give anger the voice. And I also need to have a way to let it go. Right? Okay, I am angry. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. They're like grass. They're like grass. Don't worry. Their day was coming. Let go. I had to keep both of those. Uh, because so often, we, we don't even realize it, but we do rehearse our bitterness often, which is why we have to bring it to the forefront of our minds. Uh, I had a friend who, uh, as I was describing all the horrible things that some, some folks I was dealing with were doing, he said, okay, like, it's okay to vent. I understand venting, but are you rehearsing? I said, well, what's the difference? He said, well, you know, venting, you're going to get it off your chest and then it's done. 
But rehearsing is like you're having multiple conversations about the same thing, and what you're doing is getting the narrative down about how they're so horrible and you're the victim, right? You're telling yourself a story, and it's ingraining that in your brain, and that's how you see the conflict now. And so make sure you're not rehearsing. Um, that was super helpful. We need someone in our lives who we can vent to that is safe for us to express that anger. We can give the anger a voice, but who will also ask the question, okay, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond healthily to what you are experiencing and not just let it stay in this rehearsal? We're going to live in this negative narrative all the time, um, which may look like um, paying attention to triggers, too. I know one of the most helpful things I did after leaving this last church was not looking at what they were doing. Right? Do not go on social media. Do not check out the church website. Um, and whatever relationships are triggering in those, but like, having firm boundaries there because man, I, I knew myself, if I let myself go there, I was going to be, I'm just, the rehearsal is going to start up again and I, and I can't do that. Um, and healing will never take place if I'm constantly opening, scratching that wound. Right. Um, and so I've, I've needed to do that. Too. Uh, second, uh, grieve what needs to be grieved. Um, and I, I, this is where I want to get your feedback here too. Uh, and maybe let's, let's do the fired one. Um, you've been fired by a church. What what needs to be grieved? What has been lost here? Relationships. Relationships, absolutely. Yeah. I, one of the things I hear people say sometimes when they're going through something really horrible is, man, I don't know how I would do this without a church. Mm-hmm. And that hits different after being fired mm-hmm. from a church, where it is your only community, right? Well, now I'm having to go through something horrible that really hard. Without a without that church community. In fact, it's the church community that did this to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the when, when I got fired, I had to actually sign a non-disclosure agreement, so I didn't feel like I could tell anyone uh, because of you know the lawsuit that was kind of there. I didn't have so I think I lost a total trust mm-hmm. in myself and others, and in God that He would take care of me. I grieved like a loss of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, we carry with us hopes and dreams of what the church will be, um, and you can pretty quickly lose that sense of innocence. I think and maybe that's a lot. They were for you and loved you. Yeah, and they tell you a lot. Right. I can't trust other people when right. they say that to me. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Confidence. Confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. Lack of confidence. Returns being based. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just gave so much to these people. <clears throat> was that all wasted? Yeah, when you're out of control, you're only out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rarely, rarely, when my friends have been fired, uh, did they get to stay in the same town. So yep. their their neighborhood community, their their sports community, every community was lost. Yep. Not just the church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as well as their families. That's right. Yeah, all of a sudden my kids are losing friends. Mm-hmm. My wife is losing a job. She's amazing at mm-hmm. all, y'all, all those things. Yep. Compound the degree. Yeah. Do you think it's important to understand or to understand that everyone's side or that they're being No. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know, too. I, I'm just thinking about being 
understanding and how we feel, and sometimes if we um, if we understand maybe what the what the you know what they're thinking is or what their understanding is, maybe that would help us feel more. I don't know. I mean, most of the time when things were being done to save people that were you know in the church, like whether it was Christ or the apostles or whatever our thing, they said, well, they don't know what they're doing. You know what they're perceiving is for Christ or Paul or something. You know, to these people and. Um, Kind of, I, I don't know. It seemed like they have an understanding of what those those people were were thinking and saying. They, well, it was mis, misplayed or something, but at least they have an understanding of what their you know the problem was for them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it, well, we're gonna get there. Okay. I what I would say I think is this is noticing anger, being honest about anger, and grieving what you need to be grieved are prerequisites to seeing the other side. Like that, I'm in a very different place in how I see what happened to me couple years out than I was in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could have been in that moment mm -hmm. um, until I've done some of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've randomly stepped out of ministry twice as a family. Yeah. And, and in the first interview in the boardroom, it was, uh, when it came time to salary negotiations, it was, we all think we're worth a little bit more than we actually are. Ooh. It was a welcome to our church business room. But I think that when we, when there's a disconnect of a relationship, yeah. Whether you're fired, whether you leave, you grieve this idea of what I thought I was. Yeah, that's good. Because yeah. there's something that was disconnected there that causes separation. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Like your sense of self. Yeah. Uh, like oh, like. And sometimes it's valid. You know. That's right. There's something that I need to look at. But, uh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and that was that's one of the hardest things about these critics. Is they're not entirely wrong most of the time, <laughs> right? Like it, that's part of why it's so painful is they. What's what's unhealthy in it is that's all they see in it, right? They they don't they don't have a way of humanizing it, it seems. But that doesn't mean they're not entirely. They're seeing some things, yeah, right? That we have to deal with sometimes. Yeah, Brittany. Kind of go along with what Andy was saying with um, trust is the loss of your reputation, and especially when it's not. Um, you're leaving in a situation. personally do but I I would tell you I think it's even harder for spouses to deal with that way that man <laughs> you, you piss off my wife and she can't say anything about it that is a hard place to be right uh, so like she has to silence that um, and it affects our children so yeah. that has been something else is seeing how my situation negatively affected my children yeah Okay, we need to move, keep moving. But grieve what needs to be grieved. And you can do this exercise with all of the things, right? What, you, what is being grieved when you deal with a critic? What is being grieved 
when you are betrayed by someone? What are you What are you grieving when you are vicariously watching someone go through something horrible? When they get that cancer diagnosis and you're there at the bedside, there's things that you are grieving yourself in the mo- in that moment. Um, which is, it's helpful for us to we have to grieve that, those things. Um, number three, take a step in the direction of forgiveness. Uh, here, here's what I've learned about forgiveness. And one of the things I think the myths that I believed before having really something to forgive is that forgiveness is a one-time thing. That it's like, okay, I'm going to, I need to not forgive them until I'm emotionally ready, but then when I'm emotionally ready, I will forgive them and then it's done. It's a thing, right? Um, that is not how forgiveness works. At least it's not for me. Um, and I actually carried some shame about that because I remember thinking, like, gosh, way more horrible things have happened to people. And it seems like like the Amish folks who forgave the shooter, at the, the, their children, right, who lost their children with the shooter, and immediately forgave him, like, that week or the next day. I'm like, I don't, that makes no sense to me. I don't know how that happens. I cannot do that. Um, and so I carried some shame with that. Um, and however easy it may or may not be to forgive, for me, it's been a process. Um, and it started, it starts for me with just the commitment not to hurt them back. The action of not hurting them back. Do not, not retaliating is what forgiveness looks like usually on that front end. Giving up um, your right to pay back. And hurting them the way they hurt you. Um, or getting it back worse. Right? To me, that feels like the first step. Um, and you can still, I, I, I would love to see that happen to them. I'm fantasizing about doing that to them. I'm, like, I'm having dreams about it. I have plans written, like all the things. But I'm not doing that, right? And I think that, that can be a first step towards forgiveness. That, that's enough to get you started. Um, and it's, it's a process, right? Um, you know that story about, or what Jesus says about forgiving someone 70 times 7? The way I've always read that is, it's like there's some stupid person out there who does the same thing over and over and over again. They have to forgive them over and over again. Um, which there's people like that out there, I know. But I also wonder if there's some truth in the fact that maybe it's one person who did one thing to you one time, but you have to forgive them 490 times. Because every time you're triggered, every time it's brought up again, every time something reminds you of them or some other situation reminds you of what happened, I've got to forgive them all over again. I've got to bring my back to myself back to the place of uh, I'm not going to retaliate. Um, and I think if we can do that long enough, gradually we get to the place where maybe we're okay with them having some good things in life. And maybe a little bit longer after that, we actually actively want good things for them. And we're not harboring that resentment. But man, that takes a long time. But it starts with just one step. Still paying back. Um, I think this is important to say, too. Uh, in Kevin Sweeney's book, The Making of a Mystic, he says this, it's not just forgiving him for hurting me. It's forgiving reality itself for being a place where I can get hurt. Part of the work of forgiveness is not just that person, that event, that thing they did. It is coming to terms with the reality that we live in a crazy world where we can get hurt. We can be traumatized. And that is especially... I think difficult to recognize because we run from that. Um, but I, I think it's necessary for our healing to con- be confronted with that reality. Uh, because as long as I live with the myth that I can somehow protect myself, 
I will be living in that fight, flight, freeze mode, right? Because if I can just be alert enough, if I can just have the right response to whatever threat is out there, then I can protect myself. One of the biggest breakthroughs I had in therapy as I was processing, processing some of this stuff um, was as I was talking about it, I, I said the words, I'm not going to let that happen to me again, um, which was an important moment but also came with the realization that it could happen again, right? It is possible for me to find myself in the exact same situation, and that is absolutely terrifying. But until I deal with that reality, until I'm confronted with that, man, I'm going to keep running from it. Uh, and, I, and I realized, too, it, we, we kind of had two back-to-back -back sour endings at a couple churches. And I went into the second one with kind of the naive thought process that I had my bad experience. Now this one's going to be great. And, and that got dismantled pretty quickly. Um, but I thought I had, like, gotten my vaccination against church trauma, right? Like, I've gone, I've gone through my one thing, hard thing, and now I'm immune from church trauma. Um, that's just not how it works. Um, another way of saying this is this. It's down to question. Abandoned attempts to achieve security, they are futile. And I know this probably sounds, like, counterintuitive, right? Like, that real, like, Facing the reality that we can get hurt again actually helps with healing church trauma. But man, I, I think this is part of it. I think we have to recognize that reality. Otherwise, it will continue to control us. Um, it is possible to get hurt again. Now, what do I do with that? Uh, well, I think number four is important with that. Notice when you're safe. Right. We were stuck in a moment. That's what, church, that's what trauma does to us. We are stuck in a moment we can't get out of. And we enter into all kinds of other scenarios, other contexts, as if they're the same thing that hurt us. Um, we recently had an elders meeting uh, at my current church where we talked about one of the things that got me fired at the last one. And guess how I showed up in that room? Guess how much I talked? <coughs> Nothing. Why? I'm stuck in one looking at this, this feels like the exact same thing, so I'm going to be in flight or freeze mode, right? It's not safe. Right? I will also say that meeting was one of the most healing things that's happened, too, because what I saw was, I am safe here. Right? Notice when you're safe. That helps you bring yourself out of those moments. That moment you're stuck in, you have to notice when you're not there, right? To take note of, okay, no, this is not the same situation, this is not the same person, this is a totally different relationship, this is a totally different church, this is a totally different context. That doesn't mean things can't go bad, but right now, I'm safe. Uh, any of you watched Ted Lasso? Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, one of my favorite moments in the new season, I'm not going to spoil anything, but he's worried about his son. So he's living, you know, over in England, and the son's back in the U.S., and he's just weighed down with shame and guilt about how that relationship is. Uh, and he has these anxiety attacks. And the thing that gets him out of those moments, that helps him calm his body down, is just repeating to himself, he is safe. He is safe. He is safe. He is safe. Okay, he's, he's not in danger right now. That doesn't mean nothing bad can happen to him, but right now, in this moment, he is safe, and I can know that I can make myself aware of that. Um, so be aware when you're safe. Um, and then finally, I know we got, we're out of time. Uh, reclaim your agency. Um, I think this is especially important for dealing with your sense of calling, like healing your sense of calling in this. 
that you actually do get to make choices. Uh, that Yeah, the church can do crazy, stupid things to you sometimes. But you also are a person with agency in the midst of that. Um, you get to respond. You get to choose how you respond to all of that. And you are not just a victim to whatever happens to you. But so often, and I raise my hand on this, ministers tend to have a codependent relationship with their churches. And they feel as like, well, if I can just make everyone happy, it's my job to make everyone happy, and then they'll leave me alone. Right? And so we become victimized by our own approach to how we're dealing with the church because they're in charge of my destiny. Um, and you've given all the power over to them. Well, okay, now that's, we, need to, we need to make sure we're not living in that, that narrative. We have agency. We can, we can make choices. And all right, finally, I want to leave you with this. Um, okay, that's about agency, too. Uh, I love this. Ezekiel 2. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn, and the church said, Amen. Uh, Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. It's not your job to make them happy, it's your job to speak the word of God. And they will respond to that however they're going to respond. Um, that's your agency. Um, this. I love this. This is one of those verses I've come back to when I've thought about church trauma. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Galatians 6. Paul knew what it was like to do ministry and get hurt in the midst of that. Um, and he says, okay, as I, as I think about my own experience, I am thinking about not only mine, but also the experience of Jesus, who was hurt by the people of God. It is the people of God who crucified him. Who turned their backs and betrayed him. And so there is some mysterious way in which what I am suffering on behalf of the gospel in service to the people of God is connected to what Jesus suffered on the cross. And it's not a Messiah complex. Is trying to find a way to connect our wounds to the wounds of Jesus so that they might be healed. Right. Um, so let me conclude with uh, leaving you with these words of, of blessing from 2 Corinthians. Um, as we depart, um, may this be a blessing to you. We have this treasure in jars of clay that show that it is all surpassing powers from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be also revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And may that be so among us. As we go about serving the people of God, death may be at work in us in the wounds we've received. But by the mercy of God, may they give life to the church as we deal from them. Let's go in peace. Thanks, guys. Thank you.